Hello and welcome to this, the 46th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Ingus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised we won't ever charge for the podcast, but we are looking for you to put your money where your mouth is and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And the simplest way for you to support is to go and buy yourself some tickets. There is so much work on at the moment between the Fringe and the Theatre Festival coming up and work all around the country. There is no excuse not to get out there. Get out there, put your money into Irish theatre and keep the whole machine ticking over. But look, if tickets are slightly outside your reach or this week or this month, go on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites, the funded.ies, the Indiegogos. See if there's a theatre project over there that you can get behind and support. But of course, there are ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket go and tell people about this podcast whether that's in person over a pint or a cup of coffee whether it's in the queue waiting to get into a site-specific venue at the fringe whatever way you do it go and tell people about that podcast because the bigger the platform you can get for us for the podcast the bigger the platform we can provide for the great artists that we're chatting to here each week and maybe go and share the link as a facebook post retweet it on twitter snapchat it on snapchat vine it on vine instagram it on instagram or whatever else you do get the word out there do go and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and of course these episodes are streamable and available for direct download on riseproductions.ie they're also on Podbean and Acast and all those other great podcast places go back and listen to all the other episodes both in this second series and indeed the original series leave us a review on iTunes if you would or simply click to rate us over there on their five star rating system and as ever you can follow us on Facebook we are facebook.com forward slash riseproductionsireland or you can follow us on Twitter we are at Rise Ireland and it's been another very hectic week at Rise Towers with my fringe festival judging duties keeping me occupied it's been up to four or five shows a day some of the days here Uh, but it's been brilliant I've been really enjoying it I've seen a huge amount of great work really great to go and engage with the work in a broad spectrum of it lots of work that I wouldn't normally go and see the kind of style of work that I wouldn't normally go and see and it's nice to be surprised and taken aback by going oh this isn't actually usually my bag but I'm really into it this is great work here um it's been fantastic and so this is uh, my final day of viewing duties as a judge tomorrow we're going to get locked into the fringe offices uh, at three o'clock in the afternoon and we aren't allowed out the door until we have settled on the award winner so I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's going to all shake out and just to respond to the great work that's been made and to I guess reward the people for the effort and talent that's gone into it all really looking forward to seeing hopefully a few smiles on faces on Sunday evening when we finally give out those awards so look that brings us to our guest this week and it is none other than TKB himself Thomas Kane Byrne the original triple threat Um, he is a guy who has exploded onto the scene it has to be said and you know just over a year out of the Gaiety School of Acting and already the most connected man in Dublin theatre for some reason he knows everybody and a guy who's just been massively prolific and the work he's making is really connecting with audiences and really bringing in a whole new audience to the theatre. I think he's fantastic. I think he's a really great guy. This is the chat we had. So here it is. The great Thomas Kane Byrne. The wonderful TKV Thomas Kane Byrne joining me on the podcast at long last. Hello, my friend. What's the story? Um, should we discuss what curse words we're allowed to use in this podcast and which ones are not? Um, well, what words do you not want me to say? I don't give a shit. You can say whatever the fuck you want. Well, I won't say... Key bag, because 
why is that one bad? Well, like, do you know, very, like, everyone else, like, that's not from town, the way they think, like, the C word, like, cunt is, like, the worst word yeah. you can say. Well, in town, is not, like, cunt is just, like, bastard. It's just, like, a middle-of-the-road coarse word. Whereas gee bag is, like, the worst thing you can say. Is there any particular reason why it's so bad? No, it's just really bad. Like, and even in, like, you've seen all my stuff at this stage, like, and with all of, like, the horrible, some of the horrible things the characters say, like, my ma is like, why do you use the G word so much? You're like, you're too intelligent for that. It's disgraceful. I love it. We should, we should start a campaign to get that one out loud. Um, take me back to the very beginning, if you would, please. At what point did it occur to you that maybe a career in the business was for you? Oh, Jesus. I was probably watching some film in my nanny's of a Sunday. Um, oh, my God. You must see, I've been dancing since I was a kid, mostly dancing. All right. How early, then, well, how early were you starting dancing then? Oh, God. Maybe like really young, like the oldest I would have been was would have been like ten, but it was very very young. Okay. I did like jazz and so for years, and then I get into competitive freestyle, like disco dancing. Hang on, competitive freestyle. Now the only the only competitive dance I know is when my wife watches Dance Moms. Is that what competitive it's, freestyle is? The style is very very similar. Okay. Except it's more like that's becoming more. Is that popular the now, the lyrical, yeah. Okay. But freestyle is like this, like it's similar to to that. Yeah. But with a mix of like commercial and gymnastics. Okay. And then eighteen hundred pounds sterling fucking costumes and really. Yeah, and my mad too wasn't it? Like, do you know what I mean? But and then like you, you did have a couple section as well, with, and me and my sister were couple partners, and they used to call us, you know, that brother and sister in Blades of Glory. Yes. They used to call us that. <laughs> That's glorious. Yeah. Uh, and so how long did you keep that up then? Jesus, about well over 10 years, about 12 years, probably really? more, yeah. And so is that, do you consider dance at this stage your first love? Um, no, I have a love-hate relationship with it. Do you? Yeah, like I, I think it came out in this current play as well. <laughs> yes. like, yeah, it's just because dance is like, it's if you're good at acting, you're good at acting. Do you know what I mean? Although like if you don't do it for ages, maybe you lose some of your technique or you kind of are a bit rusty, but like with dancing, you, you use it or you lose it. Okay. It's just gone. Do you know what it I mean? It needs to be a daily practice. Yeah, I can still do a few tricks and all, but I just can't. And even like if I have to learn a routine in an audition, I'm, I just freeze. Like, really? Yeah, I build up a complete mental blockage with it. Like, Wow. Uh, were you good? Were you successful? I was all right. Yeah, I was really <laughs> fell out of a top two. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um So... The dance is going along. When does either singing or acting or anything else start to creep in? Um, I suppose the singing always kind of went hand in hand with the dancing. Sorry, like I loved Christina Aguilera. Of that course. was she was Which my first love. Her and Whitney and Barbara. Like that's what I was saying. Because like, all my aunties, I feel like I've, I got a different diva from each family member. So like my ma gave me Whitney. This is like the fairy godmothers bestowing yeah. the gifts. They bestowed gave, a different diva. Exactly. My ma gave me Whitney. My auntie Jan again. <coughs> Excuse me. Hashtag laryngitis. Me auntie Jana gave me Maria Callis. <laughs> me, me auntie Mill gave me Etta James. And then my auntie Ashlyn gave me um, Barbara. And then my nanny gave me Shirley. So like I literally got a different... And that's and then they wonder why I'm fucking gay. Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's kind of... You kind of covered all bases with those. Though. That's a good, that's a good broad <laughs> sweep of divas. And then um, I found Christina myself. You did indeed. <laughs> uh, did Christina open up a whole new world to you? Oh, big time. I loved her. Um... 
And she had this song, what was it? it was like the B-sides to her Dirty single. Okay. And it was called I Will Be. And I literally had all my neighbours tortured with that song for about four years straight, like on repeat. Wow. Um, so talk to me then about, so the dancing's going along, the singing's going along. As you start to become a grown-up then, and it's like, right, what am I going to do with my life? When did you decide that maybe doing it professionally was the way to go? Um, I'm not sure, especially with the acting. Like the only reason I even did drama because I was like, okay, right. Well, I'm when I'm a huge big pop star, like Beyonce, someone might ask me to do a film, so maybe I should do a bit of drama just, just to in cover case. the bases. Like, yeah. Whitney did the bodyguard. Yeah, you need you know to be prepared I mean? for that. Yeah, I need, I was going to do my version of that, so just in case. Oh, that's really interesting yeah. to me then. So, like, that, so that was the plan. The plan was to go and be Justin Timberlake. No, the plan, plan was, was Christina. Yeah, the plan was to be Christina. <laughs> okay. I like I just didn't get why I couldn't have chaps and dreadlocks when we come from Asian. I just I didn't understand it. Obviously I know now why, but I didn't get it. I don't know, man. Dreadlocks and chaps in the church might have been uh, mm. the way to go. And we sat for a Tommy Hill figure jumper in a nice design shaved into my head. Excellent Gorgeous. stuff. Um it strikes me that fashion is one of your main passions. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, what <laughs> what is it about fashion that appeals to you so much? I don't know, I always joke and I say, well, it's just because I'm fat, it distracts from the belly, but like, I just like it, do you know what I mean? It's just, I, it's, I'm going to sound like a big cliche, but like, well, I am a fucking cliche, but like, I don't know, it's just a way of expressing yourself, really, isn't it? I, I don't know, I personally see it as valid as an art form as theatre is. See, that, like, that's what interests me about it, because it's, as you can tell from my wrestling hoodie, um, <laughs> f- fashion is not one of my main passions, um, but I am interested in the performative element of it yeah. and, and the art form element of it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I suppose I'm saying it until now, and it's a huge aspect of it. And then, well, that's, well, that's what I heard as part of the trilogy, so it features in that. I suppose... Well, my art is mostly to do with where I'm from. Yeah. And fashion is a huge thing in town. Really? It's a huge thing. Like, and we always say, like, I'll laugh now, we're later. Because you'll have people from, like, Rohini or wherever else. And we used to say to my cousins, you'd only come in here to see what I'm wearing. He'll be wearing the next month. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose a lot of who I am is because of where I'm from. And fashion is huge in town, do you know what okay. I mean? Yeah, and, like... I suppose after a while it's got, I know you can't wear that hat to rally. Everyone is wearing that. It's just always okay. been a thing, do you know what I mean? Okay, so it's always bang on trend at all points. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I like it. Um, so you've decided you're going to have your Whitney bodyguard moment, so we better get a bit of acting. <laughs> oh, I was a loser. Where, where does that start to happen for you then? Um, MPAS, National Performing Arts School. Ah, yes, indeed. Jill and Eamon. I yes. loved them. Eamon used to call me Whitney. Because <laughs> every time I auditioned for. They, they used to do like a big show on the Olympia every two years and every time I go in I'd have I did the whole remember Whitney's album she had um, throw down and chill down remember she had a drill on the, at the front yes down. I do know that one. I literally had the whole chill down at uh, a side of the album sang by, by, by the time I was there by the time I left it's amazing a different Whitney song for every edition so yeah I did I was there for a long long time like, I did like freestyle while I was there but I did that every Saturday so yeah that's how the, am I Talking in circles. No, I'm, I'm asking you questions. That's what the podcast is. <laughs> You're supposed to talk about what you did. So yeah, that's the drama kind of came in in MPAS. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I, I was quite surprised that I liked it as much as I did. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it was never on the top of my list. Really? Yeah. And what started to click for you in it? What were you finding out that you were enjoying? Just, like, when people would laugh, I was like, like proper, like full on, like telling me, like they're fucking laughing at me. Yeah. But 
then you kind of realize now they're laughing with me like they like what you're doing and I was like oh okay maybe I'm going to do more with that like okay and then I started developing the audacity to walk the crowd god forbid <laughs> and did you find that kind of the expression that you were getting from dance or from singing did you find a similar level of expression uh, in the theatre or did it feel more did it feel different more I don't know I, I, I just fell in love with it like I just loved because I, I even though I was very intense like not intense but I was a very intense child I actually was yeah I was very like driven and whatever I was still very like self-conscious you know yeah. what I mean very very self-conscious so but I didn't feel like that with drama do you know what I mean and then you realise years later like oh because you're not you like you're playing a character like yeah I just found that a lot easier I, I mean? I, I'm absolutely the same. I like I even this stuff, the podcast stuff, any of the interview stuff that I do. Yeah. being me, I find very difficult. Yeah, me being too. someone else is great. Um, you know, having someone else's character, someone else's words. Yeah, four weeks it's to so prep much and all. easier. And then you get asked to a read at a funeral, and you freak the fuck out. Like. Exactly. <laughs> well, for me, it's always it's hosting uh, race nights up in the guy club oh, or like so. fashion shows and all that. And mm. going, sure, you're great. You'd be grand. You love being on stage. I find it really difficult. <laughs> it's very hard. They just expected of us. Yeah. So, what was the route then? Uh, was there another training school before the gaiety? Yeah, Bull Alley. Right, so there's a whole generation of people who Bull came Ali. through Bull Alley at yeah. that time. Um, talk to me about your experience there then. Um, well, first off, like I met some of my... Well, see, the thing is, Lloyd, who is my cousin, Lloyd had already gone to Bull Alley. Lloyd's a cousin of yours? Yeah. I didn't know that. Did that's you just know that? No, Lloyd's my cousin. No one tells me anything. <laughs> Sorry, for, for those who don't, aren't on first name basis with Lloyd, we're referring to Lloyd Cooney. Yeah. Okay. Lloyd Cooney, yeah. He he had already gone there. Okay. So I was like, do I go to NCAD? Do I become Alexander McQueen? Or do I go to Bulali and become Meryl Streep? And then literally had applied for both, blah, blah, blah. And like right up until the end was like, right now I'm going. Like was still battling between the two. And yeah. then I went to Bulali. But I love, like, I don't get me wrong, your man Neville who ran it was an absolute lunatic. Like, I, I've heard some of the stories. Oh, he was, I remember in one of the tutorials, he said to me, Thomas Caneburn, you could be on the West End if you put down the kebab trays and went to a Jaws class. I went, oh, brilliant. Well, I'm not going to do that. So, um. <laughs> that's a hell of a show. But that's why we all have thick skins, you know what it's I mean? Like me, sure. Erica, Sarah Morris, Lloyd, like you can tell, Lucy O'Born, you can tell us nothing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Holy shitballs. Um, how long did you spend there? Oh, God, I repeat first year because I didn't do the Greek play because I had Florida booked. Oh, okay. So I couldn't do the Greek play. I know I was a very different person back then. Please don't judge me. And Neville said, um, you're not a desperate housewife. You can't just go to Florida in the middle of the year. I said, well, it was booked, yeah. honey. So I'm going. And then I repeated first year and then knuckled down. And then I did my second year there. And then they had this thing called the Academy, right. which they asked me to leave because he said I wasn't an actor and he didn't really think that I had a place in theatre. Interesting choice. Oh, I know. Gas. Like, but um, yeah, so I was asked to leave there. Taught me life was over, all of this carry on. Then my friends, Andy and Adam, sorry, I have a tire out of my mouth. My <laughs> friends, Andy and Adam, had a company called Illavised Theatre Company. Yeah. And they were doing Spring Awakening. So I did that. I played the little fat kid, Otto, with the big voice, hashtag typecast. And um, Shane O'Regan was in it, and he was like, talking about the gaiety a lot. Yeah. And then I'd been friends with Kate Gilmore for a long time, and she'd always talked really highly of it and all this carry on. 
So I applied and then I got my audition date the next day and I ran, I, I got an out, I asked him could I leave rehearsals, ran around with the auditions, ran back to rehearsals. Oh yeah, That's then I went to the gaiety. Like yeah, it was, and then I explained to Patrick, so he did me call back with me immediately after and it was all very quick, like, and do you know what I mean? You don't even get a chance to go, do I want to go? I was already yeah. halfway through the first term before I realised I wanted to go. Right, okay. <laughs> um, and so the, the idea to go through the gaiety, having got the couple of years under your belt up in, in Delhi, yeah. why did you feel that the gaiety was the right place to go? Just because on the advice of people like Gilmore and that? Yeah, well, I don't know. I just th- I knew I needed to go somewhere. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I do, would be, like I just knew I needed to go somewhere. Because I, I wasn't at the level, I, I don't, I'm still not at the level I'd like to be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, the layer wouldn't have me okay. twice. Oh, right. And um, I know, I knew I needed to go to the gaiety of the layer, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or else get out of Ireland. And I got into places in England before and I just didn't have the money, like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, my man's not a great, they'll give you the short off their backs, but the gaiety was even well, enough it's, it's for a them to for be anyone. paying. Yeah, yeah, do you know, like, well, never mind bleeding 45 grand for all your living expenses in Memphew, like. Yeah, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, so, how did you find your time at the Gaiety? Um, I'll be very honest, it wasn't the easiest time of my life. I, I didn't really, I, I learned a lot from a lot of the tutors and I really grew as a person and I really developed my love of writing and creating and I kind of know who I am. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing because I think for a lot of us, we look back at rose tinted glasses, yeah. and, you know, the time of training and stuff, but I, you know, when I think about it, I found it really fucking difficult, yeah. particularly that particularly first year. And I kind of settled into it then through second and third, but it's like it's it's a massive big shift to go through. Yeah, it's tough work, uh, and it's emotionally fucking draining as yeah. well. At the best times, it's like it's a it's an awful yeah. lot of work. Um, like don't get me wrong, I like I ha- I did, I really enjoyed what I learned there and yeah. like the faculty, and I love Patrick Sutton. I have such a soft spot for Patrick. Me and him get on like a house on fire, and right. then. I met one of my best friends, Sarah Cush, there. Do you know what I mean? You talked about maybe the time of the gaiety sparking your love of writing. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me kind of charting that journey of people, uh, the Gilmores of the world, who came out like, you know, exceptional actors and really talented yeah. people, but also... And grafters. Who, yeah, who found, yeah, who found a voice and also found, like you say, the, the, that sense of the hustle, getting out and grafting and getting mm. out and making it work. Is that where that, was, that spark was lit for you? Oh, absolutely, because the gaiety teacher, like... If you just depend on waiting on the phone, then it maybe will never ring. Like, you yeah. have to get out and graft. There are what, like, just in Dublin alone, there's about 60 new people, fresh faces every year. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we're all getting fatter and older every year, so, like, you just have to fucking graft. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I just... Yeah, I just... That's one thing that I need to learn patience over, is that not everyone has the natural kind of graft, because I just have a very low tolerance for people who don't work hard. I'm, I, I just, I can't abide it. Like, it really gets under my skin. Well, the thing from it's a, I think it's a baseball coach or a football coach at this one, which is, you've no control over someone being more talented than you, but there's no excuse for anyone to work harder than Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Like, I live by that as well. Yeah. Because um, I think, I think you do, you see, like, I've certainly seen, like, over the, you know, whatever, 20 years I'm knocking around, I've seen people much more talented than me fall by the wayside. Yeah. But I do think work ethic keeps you in the game. Absolutely, but even in Bolani, like I could name about 10 people who are much more talented than me, but just kind of fell by the wayside, didn't have the proper kind of connections or information or work ethic, do you know yeah. what I mean? And just have fallen by the way, 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 wayside. But um, yeah, I just think hard work and attitude, like, yeah. I just don't get, neg- like, I just don't get, like, my, my thing is, always say, like, always wish that you will do your best. 
but you stopping somebody getting into the room or you wishing bad on them in the room isn't going to make you do any better in the room. Correct. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I, like, I'm, like I have friends going to me, why do you tell everyone about things you're in for? I'm like, because I think they'd be good for it. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd get like, an email asked me to come in for something and I'd bump into someone, oh my God, here, send this, email them, get in for this, you, you be, you're more suited to than I am. Like, yeah. But that's just the way it is. Like, it's really, if they want you for the job, they'll give you the job. Yeah. Stopping someone else getting a few bob for a bit of bread isn't going to... I think, Do you know what I, I mean? think that's a really healthy attitude to have. Yeah. And I'm delighted you have it as early on as you do, because I think it's I think it's the only way you can survive. Like, it's, you know, we're a small enough community here in Ireland, uh, within the world mm. of kind of theatre and stuff, that I think looking out for each other is the only way to go. Yeah, exactly. And I think like Mags Mags McCall of like that like core attitude I so admire and I try to kind of take as much of it as I can because I just think I always tell her she's as close to pure as we have in this industry. Like, <laughs> but that I just find her attitude like it's amazing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I really, um, I, I really take a lot from her attitude. Like I'm really inspired by it. Yeah, she's kind of great. Um, speaking of work ethic, are you currently performing the third show you have written <laughs> and produced in the space of a fucking year? Yeah, and what I'm riddled with laryngitis, ADHD, the whole alphabet and go. Jesus Christ, like that's <laughs> a phenomenal, like I mean it's probably about people being prolific, that's, like it's, cause you, are you what, like 15 months out of the gaiety at this stage, um, something like that just over a year? September, September, 14 months, yeah. And three shows under your belt? Three shows under your belt. That's fucking ridiculous. Um, like, is that just back to the work ethic again, going look, let's just get out and make it happen? Yeah, I, I get itchy when I'm sitting around, like I get yeah. absolutely itchy, and like, I remember even when I was on the show, like I will when like I was a lamb. But like I'd be going in saying, Right, well I have this edition, this edition, this edition next week. Like I'm not just sitting around just so he's now and people were like, You don't have to do that. I was like, I know, but I'd just be mortified if they thought I didn't want to work. <laughs> it's just I'm just not even an overachiever, I just Yeah, an overachiever. <laughs> do you feel so I'm whatever we're kinda of getting to get in the work just to create the opportunities for you to be on stage? The compulsion to tell these stories, to get those, get these plays out from inside your head and your heart out onto a page or whatever. Where do you think that's coming from? Do, is it just that you have a creative, you know, soul and you want to, and you have these stories you want to get out, or where are they coming from? I say a bit of that, and then also I just, I'm just love where I'm from, and I just the people in it just give me life and inspiration, and I just kind of, I just want to give those stories in an authentic way, do you know what I mean? Is it about representation? Representation, yeah, and I just think, like, so, so Erica, for example, my Erica, Erica wrote, not my Erica, but Erica, I call her my Erica, but like we met in MPS when we were kids, like we were about 11 or 12 or whatever, and like we would be changing our accent and trying to fit in and stuff like that, and it was always a source of like, shame, like, you know, and yeah. now it's, then I found in the last years that oh, it's trendy now to be from the flats oh, or right, it's okay. edgy, it gets you into the big houses. I'm like, oh, it's cool now. Is it? Well, tell it to the 10 year old who knew he had to change his fucking accent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then they're on stage being from wherever they're from with their birthdays and their skirts. That's not how we speak, chicken. <laughs> All right, let's. We've, we've, we've touched on it. So talk to me a bit about where you are from. It's a specific part of the Northern Ireland. Very specific. Right. <laughs> so it's Shamrock Taylor Street. So I'm from St Mary's Mansions in Shamrock Taylor Street, hence the name of the trilogy. Yes. But um, yeah, well, Courtney, they've been renovated, so I'm living in North Strand. But and it's that the suburbs to you then? No, it's town. It's just <laughs> before the left. <laughs> 
But um, yeah, I suppose. What's what do you think is unique about that community, or what do you think about that community has uniquely shaped you? Um, I just think the sense of community. Do you know what I mean? And like the sense of like looking after your own. Or do you know what I mean? And yeah. like the, it's the only place in Dublin that have managed to keep the kind of elements that we had as a country hundreds of years ago. They've managed to keep them while still moving with the times. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Like any, like I always say, like even in terms of homophobia, like I've experienced very little of that, but all of it has been outside of my area. Really? Yeah, I've like very little homophobia in my area. Like, do you know what I mean? Have you any idea why that is? I don't know. It's, do you know what? I think it is when somebody knows what it's like maybe to be stigmatised. Okay. They kind of... I don't know. I suppose it's one thing to be from the flats. Right. Then it's another thing to be a fat queer from the flats. Do you know what I mean? But there's layers there. That's another there. type of triple bleeding trend. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's very, like, I'll say what I like about them. Right. Because I know them and they're from here, but you won't open your mouth, you little fucking outsider type thing. I don't yeah. know. I can't put it into words, but... No, but I think it's interesting, to, it's great to have someone talking positively about the community, because I think for a huge section of Ireland, the only time you hear about the north inner city is when there's another gangland feud going oh, on. Stop. Stuff, you know, do you yeah. know what I mean? But the idea that there is a world outside of that... Yeah, or when really you hear your accent in River Island and they're following you around when you spend more, in, more money in the shop than any bleeding D4 head. Oh, sorry, I hate that term as well, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Now my ma is 54 years of age, she's never stolen anything in her life. And they hear her accent from River Island when she's buying a few bits every week and they follow her around. Yeah. I'm sorry to sound like I have a chip on my shoulder, but that boils my blood. Well, no, but I mean, it's the same thing. Like, if, if, if a traveller walks in and they get followed yeah. around, you're like, or if someone yeah. who's black gets in, it's like, you But know. in this day and age, you're yeah. like, and, oh, it just annoys me, like. Yeah. And it's always a little sap that hasn't even got their junior cert to it. <laughs> just because they have a bleeding blow dry and some molly jeans on them. Don't deny me. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, tri- the trilogy then is it's set it's it's about this world it's about that thing. so yeah. we now so here's the thing we've had three shows in a year but we haven't had the full trilogy we've had two of the trilogy yeah so talk us through the two parts of the trilogy that we've had so the fourth part was saying unto now yeah keen and charlie so they're obviously gone to london now or wherever and then the second but they're set in st mary's mansions and that's why this trilogy is called the st mary's mansions trilogy but then the second play well that's what i heard those girls are a younger generation so those girls were born in what, like 2000? Yeah. And then Charlie and Keane were born in like the 90s. And, but they're a different generation. But it's still the same flats and the memories are still there. So even like in my last I heard Keane gets a little mention. Yes. And um, so yeah, I'm just, I just kind of like that. And then I think, I don't know what's going to happen, but like at the moment, I'm thinking of bringing some characters back for the last part or, do you know what I mean? Because I'm yeah. just obsessed with like that whole idea, like the kind of American horror story Brand, branch, brand, what's that word I'm t- looking for? I don't know. Franchise. Franchise. <laughs> branch is close. Branch. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just obsessed with that. And like, now they're doing crossover. And I'm yeah. like, that, I have gone, I've been thinking about stuff like that for ages. And then, obviously, I'm, then I'm like, no, like, Ryan Murphy is not robbing your idea, Thomas. Like, you just thought the same thing, you dope. But, um, yeah, I, what was the question again? Well, just, just talking about the trilogy. Yeah. So, the two parts we've seen are, Say nothing to no one, and well, that's what I heard. Yeah. Uh, 
Talk to me a bit about the process of making those shows. Uh, what what does it look like for you? Are you up on your feet devising in a room with your pals? Are you locked away at a laptop in an office somewhere? Locked away at a laptop. Um, do you know where I do most of my writing? And it's gas because when I was in the gaiety, I was the last in and forced out every day. Yeah. But the little corner upstairs, like the computer in the corner, I, I don't know why, I just, it just flows when I'm there. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right, that's, and do you still go back there now? I still go back there. Well, I haven't written that since this. Well, no, this one, like the fringe one, but the Fat Sands of Bernadette, I wrote that in Anna McCarrick. Right, okay. But, um, well, I forced for Overseen and Heard, but the actual current script that's in the fringe, I wrote yeah. Anna McCarrick. Um, yeah, with loads of Prosecco and Karen Cogan for support. <laughs> so, not, not locked away at a laptop, just locked at a laptop. Just locked at a laptop. I love that. <laughs> That's very accurate. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Oh. Um, so, the Adam Carey trip came around as part of Stuart Parker, am I right? Yeah. Now, uh, why would you be involved with Stuart Parker? Um, oh, sorry. Say nothing to no one got nominated for it. So, this was your very first play? Your very first play. Straight out, Stuart Parker <laughs> nomination. Not bad, go on. Go on. <laughs> so, well, when I found out, like, I, I just saw the email and then I just put it away and then I didn't tell anyone until that night. I don't know what I, I'm a weirdo like that. I just, my anxiety kicks in and I'm like, no, I can't tell anyone about that because then that'll make it very real and then yeah. I'll have to deal with it. And I don't want to deal with it because, well, yeah, I told everyone that night and they were like, what, did they text you? At, did they email it at two in the morning? I was like, no, 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 they emailed me at four o'clock today. I just wasn't ready to tell you all because my nerves were gone. Um, what kind of a vote of confidence was that for you? Oh, it was, do you know what? Like, I know people are like, oh, it doesn't matter or something, but it's nice to just, know that amazing kind of Irish literary heroes have read your stuff and t- thought it was all bleeding right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then when we were at the actual awards, obviously I didn't win, Karen did, because she's absolutely fabulous, and me and Claire won a special development thing. But I went up to Caroline Williams, who runs it, and I said, look, awards aside, did Marina read my play or did she not? And she said, yeah, she read it. I said, that's all I that's need to all know. You need. Because everything, it's no secret how much I love that woman. She is my absolute queen when it comes to writing. Wow. But um, yeah, and I just I said, man, Marina Carr read the play. I actually don't care about winning. Come on, yeah. I'll see you later. We'll go now. <laughs> and then we had a ball in Belfast. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Um, how useful was the time in Anna McCarrick? It's a place I've never been, but it's a place I've heard incredible things about. It was fab. It was honestly, like, the group of us that went down, like, they co- like we couldn't have been more different. Like, right. there was me... There was Owen Quinn, there was um, Michael Marshall, Karen Cogan, Roisin Nibrin, Nibrin? Yeah. Something Irish, anyway, sorry Roisin. Um, from Waterford, we were all so different. And I'm not gonna lie, I was so nervous, like going down like to meet them and stuff like that. But we all got on like a house on fire, like it was lovely and everyone was so supportive. Like people were at very different stages of what they were doing. Like me and Karen had a deadline to meet. Yeah. Um, and then Michael and Owen and Roshi were just kind of experimenting and kind of letting it flow. So, and then their one rule down there is you have to meet up for dinner at seven every night and it was gorgeous, like yeah. the food and the company, like. But yeah, it was just really, I was just felt really chilled, you know what I mean? Like for the first time in ages, I had time to just stop and go, yeah, okay, grand. I think there's probably something in the luxury of being able to dedicate that time yeah. and effort and energy exclusively to the work and not worry about rent or doing the washing yeah. or whatever for the way, just like really focus on the work. Is it? Is there something uh, empowering in that? There's something gorgeous there, yeah. Like I literally took four, like, and for me this is very good because I speak to my mom and my sister at least 10 times a day. 
I literally took four phone calls in that week. It was my mum, my sister, Asha, Mara, and Erica. Wow. Like, and for me, like that is just yeah. unheard of. I, and everyone was like, oh my God, you sound so calm. Is there like a tantrum coming? Or <laughs> no, 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 I'm very calm. Wow. <laughs> and in general terms, what does the process feel like for you? Does it does like a first draft come very easily? Do you tend to do a lot of rewrites? Mm. What, how do you go about getting the idea out? Well, I mean, my first draft, I throw the fucking kitchen sink at it, and I know it's most of it isn't going to make it to the stage. I know okay. that, but it just gives me a sense of every single aspect of the world. You know what I mean? And then, <clears throat> especially with like saying you know, that's what I heard. Laura Honan was amazing in that, like she knew the world and yeah, probably better than I did sometimes. You know what I mean? And she was very good at going right. This is brilliant, but we need to make it more compact now. Okay. And ready to go. And do you know what I mean? I'm obviously not using the right language, but she was great. Like she was like really played a crucial role in the versions of Saint Antonio and well, that's what I heard we heard. Is that is that about you like you say, throwing as much out there so you get a f- as full a picture of the world as possible yeah. and then distilling it down into the essence of the story, yeah. the essence of the characters. Yeah. Okay. And what do you find easy or hard does dialogue come easy for you does the kind of overall arc of a narrative story work for you uh because i mean the your flair for language i think people know is pretty fucking spectacular <laughs> thank you do you know what it is i need to know the characters and once i know the characters i'm off to the fucking galway races like do you okay. know what i mean but if i don't know them fully or if i think i'm just doing them for a certain effect or yeah. to please a certain audience then I, I just I, I'm stagnant I just can't do it like do you know what I mean yeah is there a bit of using your actor's brain as you're writing in terms of going like I these how how do these characters only get played yeah. or can you switch that bit off and go I'm just the writer now I'll write this I think you're good at just writing it although I, I, I Tarek like, people have gotten videos of me writing from the back Right. And I'm like fully acting it out as I'm writing. Okay. Swinging the head and there was a lot of like neck cracks and finger clicks from the girls when I was writing them for one. That's what I heard. But um, I don't know. Like when people ask me all these like technical questions about writing on, I never, like I probably do do it, but not on purpose. I don't know I'm doing it. I just think I'm writing, you know? And that sounds really, oh, I'm just good by acting around. But I don't know what it is. I just write like do you know what i mean yeah no i think i think it's often easy if it, yeah. like, if, it, if it is as pure as that and you got like it's coming out well clearly it is coming out as quick as it is given the amount of work you're trying to yeah that i think it, it can just i mean i don't know if i've ever told you this before i as far as i know fight night when gavin wrote fight night he wrote it inside two weeks so like i think you, you can i know rocky was written like in in a weekend or something yeah you know, it does, you know so i think when you're on something when you're on the right buzz with it when, you're, when you've got the right line with it it's it just it can come out that easily. I think. Yeah, and you know what? It's also easy when you know you're not limiting yourself, and when you know who you're writing for as well. Yeah, and particularly with the first two parts of the trilogy, like look at the four, like the three sorry females I got to write for, like, and you saw yeah. that yourself. I was absolutely fucking blessed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's very easy to fix the tap when you have good tools. Like this is true. So on top of you doing all the writing with this and getting this work out there, the fact that it's not you doing it as TKB the writer, but it's part of the Breadline Collective. How important was it for you to have that kind of producing entity of the company of the Breadline Collective? What what additional thing, thing does that bring to the table for you? Do you think? Oh, you see, well, I suppose it was very important because I think social media played a big part. But it plays a big part in our company as well. Do you know what I mean? 
I think I'd like to think we're very honest in how we promote a show and we're not afraid to use very plain, very coarse language online right. and just be honest about it, you know what I mean? And I think, yeah, and I think that's why, because I, I think my proudest thing is, I'd say about 70% of our audience so far has been non theatre goers. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like, you do have to put up with the odd apple or popcorn in the audience, but I actually don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But don't get me wrong, there are times when you, you say, oh, do I want non-theatre girls? And you get to me, you're like, oh, no, get out, please just put down the pick and mix and stop distracting me. I'm throwing off your phone. But, yeah, and I want to appeal to them as well. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and things like Garup Helen and, like, stuff like that, that does, I don't know, it just clicks with it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, like, so is it is it part of the branding of it that this is... Oh, it's all about brand. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, look what I'm wearing on my bead neck and go, like... <laughs> for, for those listening at home, it's a... I mean, do you want to describe it? Um, <laughs> it's sparked an awful lot of interest, but it's just a simple pendant with my initials, folks. But I, I love it. So <laughs> in the way that... I see, I kind of was unaware of the idea that there's a, there's a kind of a notion of this character, Ango, out there in the world. Yeah. I, and kind of people have that sense of me. But like, so the idea that you aren't really Thomas Cain Byrne, you are TKB. Yeah. Uh, is there much difference between Thomas Cain Byrne and TKB or are they the same person? Um, well, no, I, I don't know. Like, I, T, I don't, TKB is just what they used to call me in town because it's me initials, you know right. what I mean? But like... I don't know, I'm going to start sounding like Gemma Collins, where she's like, there's me and then this is GC, please ignore that Essex accent. Um, I don't know. Well, like, I suppose now, TKB, people have an idea of who I am and that I'm this big brash. But I don't know. Do you know what it is? I am the most introverted extrovert ever, and it just clashes 24-7. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't, yeah. But no, like, TKB is just me. Like, it's just me initially. Okay. Well, speaking of this brash extrovert character is there ever any concern for you that if the persona of tkb becomes as as big as it is or as well kind of as well known or whatever that that can impact on you being able to lose yourself in a character in like a straight up acting gig when it's not you writing or producing but mm. it's just you going into something is there, is there ever a concern with that well i think if anyone is quite a big has a big personality or is a very certain way in like real life i think it can sometimes because people are searching for you yeah. constantly and they won't accept a character that you're presenting no matter how layered or authentic it is they're constantly searching for you yeah to go oh he's gas or do you know what i mean because i do that myself with certain like even my kathy work like she is so phenomenal but like whether i see her in elizabeth or dancing at lunacy like i'm still searching for linda lahues from yeah. gimme gimme do you know what i mean yeah but i'm not comparing myself to kathy work by the way um, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, I feel sometimes it gets in the way because people are looking for this yeah. big, brass, loud, camp townie, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, because I'm one of... And maybe that's all I am, but we all like to see, think we're more I than that. I don't think it is. I, <laughs> I, I was fortunate enough to come in to work with you guys just before you graduated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember working with you and uh, not knowing what to expect. Yeah. I, I mean, I knew you from around. Were you going to expect worked. some ballet? I was hoping for it, to be honest with you. <laughs> and then, and then okay, this incredible performance that wasn't the big, loud, brash character. Yeah. It was like just proper, grounded, fucking brilliant acting. Heterosexual. Heterosexual. Which <laughs> I, I demand that from all the roles I see. I, I simply won't engage with anything else. Um, but it just, I went, oh well this is a guy who sure there's that persona there but it's a guy who can lose himself into another character yeah. okay now this because at that stage it was an element to you that i hadn't seen yet i was going okay now i'm excited about this yeah. guy because that i think 
you know, absolutely you have that facility, that capacity to go out there and just and, yeah. you know, and nail it. But we all like to think we have or else we wouldn't do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not saying I'm brilliant. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone. But if I didn't think I could do more than people think, then why the fuck would I be doing it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. at the same time, if I'm fully happy leaving a dressing room with my performance, why the fuck am I doing it? Yeah. We don't ever, I don't think we ever want to be 100, 100% perfect. It's boring, like. Oh, it's always a quest to get better. But I, lo- I know this sounds really sick, but like I like to be pulled apart and told what I should be doing better. And that's what I miss about drama school. Because yeah. you're out there and you're around and you don't have someone going, right, this is what you need to fix and this is why. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're either have someone loving it or hating it and that's absolutely final. But I also believe if you've paid for a ticket, or even if you've got a comp, but if you sit in that audience for an hour, you've every fucking right to say whatever you want to say about that performance. It is absolutely your right. Interesting. We talked earlier about the, uh, the fairy godmothers bestowing you with the divas. <laughs> Where do you draw inspiration from now? You mentioned Marina already. Um, are there other actors, other writers out there? Well, in Either t- here domestically or around the world. Well, in terms of writers, like, I, I've, I've made no secret of it online. I absolutely adore Philly's work. Like, yeah. Philly is a big inspiration. Um, I love Tennessee Williams. I love Sean O'Casey. I love Marina. Um, yeah, and I suppose in terms of actors, I don't, I just, I find I connect better with female actors when they're performing. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Do you know, like, not like, I do have male actors that I absolutely love. Like, Angus McAnally for one book. Angus McAnally, Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> I think in terms of Ireland, like I absolutely love Ian Lloyd Anderson and I think Marty is brilliant as well. Great. And his auntie Stephen Ray, who's exactly. also fabulous. Um, but yeah, and then you have like Betty Davis, who's my absolutely ultimate be all and end all. And like yeah. Angela Bassett. I suppose I pull it from everywhere. Like It seems like it's a diverse palette. Like it seems yeah. like you, you have references and influences that go way back in time further than they should, like back to yeah. kind of 50s and 40s and stuff nearly. Like, do you, where does that interest in stuff that's kind of outside of your time frame? My ma's side of the family, like and my mum, like and I, they, they love old Hollywood and yeah. that genre and like me and my auntie Mildred, like we adore Betty Davis, like this is, I just, so you know, like it said that she murdered her husband. Right. Right, so she hit him so hard on, on Rodeo Drive with a handbag. He died of a brain hemorrhage days later. And <laughs> a week later, she was on a chat show. So holding her handbag and smoking. And I'm just, I, I don't know how I got to this, but I'm just, we love that. We just love old Hollywood and the things people said and did and how they got away with it. And then I lived, so my great nanny, me nanny John, like she said, now Lord rest her, but um, I lived with her in the night. You know what I mean? I said, when she started to get older, like I said with her, and she loved old Hollywood and films and the style and, yeah, I just, I think a lot of that came from my mum's side of the family. They were like, just, yeah, they just kind of made me fall in love with it. Like, That's great. You know? So, given that we're, you know, as you say, what, 14 months out of the drama school at this stage, three plays already. <laughs> and I look totally fucking seven, I, do you know what I mean? Hey, 37's a good age, how dare you? I know. Um, tell me this, what do you hope or dream for? What are the ambitions? I mean, okay, we know we're going to finish off the trilogy, but have you set goals in mind or do you want to just keep doing what you're doing what's what's the dream for you from here um right as cliche as it is i just want to be genuinely happy do you know what i mean and i want to earn an, a living from what i love to do and i want to be able to say thanks financially to me matt and dad like as well do you know what i mean but in terms of like <clears throat> excuse me in terms of like the work i'm creating i just want to continue to represent where i'm from in an authentic way yeah do you know what i mean and then maybe we'll even try leave Dublin one artistically. 
<laughs> but there's just still so much juice there. Like, I just have no intention of doing it as of yet. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I have a feeling that I'd be really good at writing for middle class, middle-aged women. Oh, that sounds interesting. I, mean, I have a feeling because I feel... Yeah, I just feel like the Malahide socialites and all. It's my call, true calling. I need to do a sitcom about them. I'll bring you. I'll teach everybody. Yeah. I'll, I'll introduce you to the gang. Do you know what I mean? Air mask scarves, affairs, and frappuccinos. Like that's that's, <laughs> that's where my talent. That's your lies. spiritual home, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Patronus. I love it. Well, I mean, in the way that uh, Friel had at Ballyveg, you have St Mary's Mansions. I think <laughs> it's great. TKB, you are a hero, and I look forward to seeing you. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. So there you have it, the great TKB, brilliant to catch up with him and have that chat. He's a guy who, as I said, has exploded onto the scene. I've seen all of his work so far, all three of those plays that he's made so far, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where else that man's career is going to go over the coming years. He's an exceptional writer and a really gifted actor too. I think there's, the sky is the limit for TKB, and I look forward to joining him along that journey. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings-on around the country at the Abbey Theatre. Jimmy's Hall and Two Pints are still out on the road, and of course they have a huge heap of fringe stuff going on at the Abbey there too. Uh, check out their website for details on that. At the Gate Theatre, our Ruthie is about to kick off in Hamlet. That's about to go into previews very soon. Get your tickets for that. At the Gaiety Theatre, Frank Pig says hello is coming up. Uh, at the O'Reilly Theatre up at Belvedere, it's Foil Arms and Hog, and that'll be followed by Theatre Club with Heroin. At the Lear, uh, the, they have a whole lot of fringe shows up there, including The Fattest Dancer in St. Bernadette, starring the great TKB, uh, which has been completely sold out as far as I know. Uh, at the Mermaid, it's the May by Marina Carr, starring Rise Productions regular Rachel O'Byrne. At the New Theatre, again, a huge heap of fringe shows. Check out newtheatre.com or fringefest.com for details there. Same with Smock Alley, there's a huge amount of fringe stuff going on there too. At the Pavilion Theatre, they have uh, Rough Magic's Portrait of the Artist coming up there soon. And on the north side at the Viking, it's The Boys returning there. Uh, at the Dolman Theatre, they have Dirtbird's Self-Help Tour. And at Bewley's Cafe Theatre, it's all the Shona bags for fringe. And I have to say, all four of which are absolutely excellent thoroughly enjoyed seeing all those shows it's a vintage year for showing a bag I have to say uh, at the Project Arts Centre again 8 million fringe shows check them out on their website there and as we head south to Cork at the Everyman they have Assisted Solo which of course was part of the Fringe Festival here uh, and Tales of Hoffman which is touring around the country they'll also have The Collector and Deirdre O'Kane coming in there soon Chock-a-Block down in Cork um, more great work going on at the Everyman they're doing a cracking job down there at the Town Hall in Galway they're about to kick off with our own Aaron Monaghan starring in Druid production of Richard III. At the Lime Tree in Limerick, they have User Not Found and then Three Hail Marys coming up. At the Hawkswell in Sligo, it's No Smoke Without Fire from the brilliant Mary Murray. And up north at the Lyric in Belfast, it's Good Vibrations, which is getting a phenomenal response up there. Well worth the trip if you can make it. So look, that is us. That is episode 46, would you believe, in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime... This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. Bye.